In motorsport, consistency and performance is all that matters. The pinnacle of Australian motorsport is the Supercars Championship, and they trust race fuels. And you can too. Maybe you do club sprints, maybe you're into motocross, or maybe you rip around the karting track. Race Fuels has products if you're interested in consistency and performance. Find out more at racefuels.com.au. Two of the very best operators marked up in the garage. Wow. This has been coming for a long time. These two do not like each other. There are two parts of the story as always. Red flag, this is a suspended uh, race. And it's another week of the Parked Up podcast. We're powered by Race Fuels. My name is Grant Rowley. I'm joined by Tony Dalberto. Happy Queen's birthday, a long weekend. Happy birthday to my dad as well. How are you, Tony? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. Happy birthday, Mark. What uh, what year are we celebrating? Uh, it's. I think it's... a. Yeah, it's in the 60s. It's definitely in the 60s, and I should know off the top of my head, <laughs> but I do not. But I think it's 64. That's my guess. Wow. My there guess. you go. Happy birthday. Uh, big hello to our listeners this week. Um, we've got a big old show to uh, to go through. Some special guests, like always. We, mm-hmm. we don't disappoint there. Um, but Grant, you're still up in Sydney, yep. um, about to make your way up to Darwin for the supercars this weekend. Yep. But you did go to a cheeky little race meeting over the weekend. Some pretty cool cars on track there at Sydney Motorsport Park. Tell us about yep. it. Yep. The Sydney Classic celebrating the life of Ron Toranak, who was, of course, the very famous designer who uh, played a huge role in, in Jack Brabham's world titles uh, in, in Formula One. And then uh, all of the uh, Brabham cars, he uh, he played a hand in the, in the uh, design and construction. So, uh, and then after he left Brabham, he went and started his own business called Rolt. So, and a lot of those cars still run around the circuits these days as well in the historic racing. There was a uh, quite a few Brabhams from from all different uh, eras, all different shapes and sizes. Uh, and a whole bunch of Rolts as well. So a, a, a special weekend there. I got to meet Ron's eldest daughter, Jan, and lots of uh, lots of special guests out there as well. And a heap of cool other categories as well for the for the Sydney Classics. So the the Group C and A touring cars, they're winding the clock back from you know the touring cars that that you and I effectively grew up with, particularly those uh, Group A cars with BMWs and Nissan GTRs and and Holden Commodores dressed up in the in the colours of their uh, past glories. So, yeah, really cool, really cool to be there uh, for it, and uh, just also pretty cool to go to a race meeting, which was just real chilled, real relaxed, <laughs> no, no massive super pressures going on. So. Um, now- Yep. Generally at a race meeting though, mate, you're very busy running yep. around trying to get all your jobs done, look after all your clients. Mm-hmm. A little birdie told me that this weekend they saw you running around delivering fuel for race fuels. <laughs> What's going on there? Yes. Well, you know, we love the race fuels and uh, because of the COVIDs, uh, Mark and his team weren't able to get anyone up there for the event. And because I was there, I got... Uh, uh, handed the keys to the to the fuel drum fuel drum uh, <laughs> thing, and I was pushing around pushing around big fifty liter tins of Elf LMS to some of the competitors. So as you know, Tony, manual labour is not my 
big strong point. But oh, you, you should have been sweating. You should have seen me. Time. You should have seen me. I was a boss. I was like a boss pushing that. So uh, t- pushing tell that us, like, like, did you have to, was there a, like morning deliveries or like, what was your day? <laughs> no, it was, pre- it was pretty easy. They only had, uh, I think it was four or five 50 litre drums that just needed to go to uh, different competitors. Uh, Alan Heafy needed some for his, uh, for the cars that he was looking after. Bob Tweedy had an old Elfin uh, that his son Tom was racing. So I needed to drop some fuel to him. And yeah, there was a couple of others as well. So it wasn't very heroic. They do have a, (laughs) they've got a Bowser there though, don't they? They've got, yeah, they've got Bowsers and those things just, uh, it's self-serve. It's really easy, really, really easy to use that self-service fuel uh, at you know at the track at the track mm, so you mm. can buy your 98 ron and you could you can buy your elf 102 uh or e85 the the race fuels race blend uh, you can buy it all there at the bowser and for no no uh, more expensive than if, if you bought a 20 or 50 liter um jerry can or or tin so um, they've uh, they've definitely got the system set up the the race fuels to make your racing they're everyone's motorsports so so simple um and yeah look i think uh, i mean we're obviously grateful for the support that they give uh, the parked up podcast which is fantastic um but they probably just don't get enough credit for uh the, the convenient nature mm. of, of of what they do for the for the sport so uh it's yep. so much easier these days honestly i remember having to cart fuel around and when we were racing formula ford used to have all this fuel hanging around all the time, which is obviously quite dangerous as well. Mm -hmm. But just that ease now, every time you go to a race meeting, you know that they're going to be there. They're going to be able to sort you out. You don't have to forward plan at all. Even when we do track days and track events for manufacturers, to have those bowsers there, because what we used to do was actually drive the cars to the nearest servo, build them up of a nighttime and then hope we get through the day. And if we didn't, we'd have to do a little splash and dash during lunchtime. Mm. Whereas now you can just quickly fill them up in between sessions. It's yes, it might be a little bit more expensive than the Bowser pump, but you know, had a servo, but so convenient. So yeah. goddamn convenient. So yeah. yeah, big thumbs up to our good friends at race fuels. But anyway, we've spoken enough about race fuels. Uh, we do have a big show. You got a few uh, guests when you were up in Sydney. Yep. Who have we got to chat to today, mate? Yep. So uh, first, uh, you and I are going to grab Mark Fogarty for a bit of a chat about uh, some pressing news issues. So we'll talk to him, I reckon, about a bit of Gen 3. We might also ask about the Australian Grand Prix. He wrote a really interesting piece recently about why that event can't go ahead. I hope he's going to tell us that something has changed and it, it, uh, you know, it might go ahead. We obviously all want it to go ahead, but he gave some pretty Mm. good reasons why, why it might not. Uh, and, um, while I was in Sydney, I grabbed, uh, Sam Brabham. Uh, now, you know, Sam quite well from some driver training stuff where you've dealt with him. Uh, but he was driving around the very, very famous BT 19 around Sydney motorsport park. So I thought I'd just grab him for a quick chat, ask him about driving his grandfather's very famous, um, mm. world title winning, winning Repco Brabham. Uh, and the and pressure, then, mate. The pressure. Oh, no, no, no. Oh my gosh. Ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> and of course, I also asked him about if he felt that or, or how close he might be to actually getting a, um, getting a race drive in his own right here in Australia. Mm. 
Uh, of course, he was living over in the UK and now he's moved here uh, with his girlfriend. So he's settled into Australia. He's got a surname that anyone would love to have uh, in their uh, in their race team. So it, um, Isn't it amazing though? It still doesn't guarantee you a seat, even though you know he's got such amazing pedigree in his family, he's still got to work his ass off. And I know... Uh, you know, speaking with him many times on track events, he's working really hard. He wants to try and make a way here in Australia into supercars. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how close he is to, to getting to towards his dreams there. Oh, well, I'll uh, be able to give you all an update on that. And hey, I also caught up with a guy that you used to mentor when he first joined supercars, Josh Keane. Now, what team was he driving for in DVS when you were mentoring him? You did a year he of actually, He actually had his own team. Right. Um, his family-run team. So they had an old or an ex-HRT car, and they ran the car themselves. Because the, the Keen family have got a, a really strong history in motorsport. Um, they've been around the game for quite a while, but not so much on the driving front. Um, they've had an interest in a lot of, you should See their family collection of vehicles um i mean many a few years ago the the delbertos sold a few classic cars but i tell you what it's got nothing on what the kings have got <laughs> um so they, they they love their classic cars they love car racing and josh was you know getting into dvs and i just finished full time um so yeah they got me on board to spend a bit of time with josh and he's a wildcat he uh he can drive he he can absolutely steer a race car um, we had a lot of fun together so I'll be interested to hear this little chat and what cheekiness he come up with. Uh, well, he's uh, he's doing something like pretty wild. So actually at Sydney, he was driving one of the family's cars, which is an ex-Gerhard Berger Benetton from the, from the late 80s. The thing is absolutely wild. It's actually, they don't run it quite as uh, tapped out as what the cars would have run back in the day just to, you know, ensure its reliability and uh, whatever, because of course, late eighties, formula one cars, if you ever go back and have a look at some of those races, the highlights, most of those cars don't even finish races anyway. Like they were horrifically unreliable, (laughs) but, uh, but this car, it's a BMW powered, um, really, really cool looking thing. So when I saw him there, I just went up for a little chat and, um, and he did a uh, little video piece for race fuels for their, uh, for their, for channel race fuels, which uh, you'll see a little bit later on for those who follow race fuels on the social medias. And he, during the chat, he mentioned uh, that he wanted to give this new Instagram page a, a plug, all the beers, no idea, or all the beer, no idea. And I thought, what is that about? So him and his cousin, are, they've, they left uh, today today uh so monday the public holiday and they're going for a three-month journey up the east coast of australia uh going through a lot of sort of very small towns and they're they're just they've got a a little boat a little tinny they're going fishing they're stopping at pubs uh and their idea is to build up a, a bit of a following on this instagram page uh it's a pretty wild uh career uh shift uh, so I thought I'd grab him and see, yeah, where, where, and what he's doing for the next three months. So I found Tony D's old mate, Josh Keane, 
Now you're about you're here at Sydney Motorsport Park this weekend racing a Formula One car, but you're about to embark on a really different adventure. Tell us about it. Yeah, let's just get one thing straight. I'm not Tony D'Alberto's mate, little buppity boopity. Um, yeah, look, mate, we're about to uh, head off on a journey around Australia. Um, all the beer, no idea. So there's no real idea, and there's a lot of beer, and we're just going to travel around and. Uh, do the things that uh, we've always dreamed about, fishing, adventures, catching crocs, doing all the cool things. So give us a follow and uh, we'll see what we can get up to. Sounds, sounds like heaps of fun. So you and your cousin are effectively packing up and going on like a, a, a journey with no end, end date up the east coast of Australia. Yeah, pretty much two land cruisers with a tinny and uh, a lot of fishing gear and, and a couple of skateboards and we'll um, yeah, cruise up the east cross, coast, cross the top and uh, make our way to WA and see what we can find along the way. Now to capture this journey, you've started an Instagram page, All The Beer, No Idea, which you can go on and find. And the idea is that you'll rate uh, uh, rate the pubs and rate their beer if they give you a free beer, is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Look, we're gonna look for the most remote pubs. There's a couple of really remote pubs in the middle of nowhere. So get into them, we'll give them a shout out on the uh, Instagram page and, and have a beer with them and, you know, just help them out and, uh, get everyone up to them. We're also um, got a heap of stuff on board that we're going to donate to Aboriginal communities. So skateboards, shoes, bit of skate clothing and bits and pieces like that as well. Amazing. Well, enjoy and uh, everyone tune in to their Instagram page, all the beer, no idea to uh, track their adventures. It looks like fun. Nice work there, Grant. That's an awesome story. And typically Josh Keane giving me a little bit of cheek. That's, that's uh, <laughs> what Josh is all about. Um, he's certainly a character and I, I did enjoy my time working with him, but I tell you what, sometimes you didn't want to be the guy on the radio giving him bad news because uh, he, he certainly gave it back to you. He's got a bit of a, bit of a hot head, Joshy, <laughs> but uh, he's, he's got a lot of uh, charisma too. So, oh man, they're going to have so much fun on their trip um, yep. for three months. I can yeah. just imagine some of those stories. I, am, <laughs> I was so jealous when he was telling me exactly how, how all of this is going to play out. Uh, I've got a, uh, I've got a very good cousin and a, and a brother and a few good mates, I reckon who uh, would suit me perfectly to do a little tour like, uh, like they're about to go on. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. So um, I reckon what we should do, Tony D is bowl into some news. Uh, there's a, there was a couple yep. of little races going on uh, and we've got a great chat with Mark Fogarty coming up. So here we go, the news. And the news is brought to us by motorsportwebsites.com.au. They can turn your online presence into something awesome, just like the parkedup.com.au website. Just like the networkr.com.au website where you, you can, of course, pre-order your Little Heroes books. They are coming up soon. The five cartoon uh, books that I've uh, created, They, uh, I reckon I'll actually have those in my hot little hands in a week or so, Tony. That is Ooh, very, very, very exciting. exciting. And I've got some good, uh, I've got some news about that. Uh, where as long as the Melbourne restrictions are okay, we're going to have a little mm. bit of a launch party. You beauty in Ringwood, convenient for you, uh, at at East at Eastland, uh, and I'll be able to tell everyone about that really soon. It'll be so how, how many people are you going to have there? Because well, I've just as built a massive deck at my house. Oh, uh, well, no, look, we the, could christen the deck and the Barbie and the whole lot. The uh, I wouldn't the, charge you much at all. <laughs> right. Well, the library, <laughs> the uh, the library there is charging me zero. So. Oh. 
Uh, there are no beers then there. Well, no beers for the actual launch, but uh, there is a pub about 70 metres away from the library. <laughs> <laughs> and very close to my house too. So. It is. You can just stump, you can stumble home after a couple of frothies. Uh, okay, anyway, That's so it. hopefully um, I'll be able to invite uh, everyone to come and do that pending uh, the Melbourne restrictions, which are likely to be... Um, really disappointing but but we'll see we're pressing we're pressing ahead with it and i'll i'll tell everyone a little bit more about that next week um okay tony d there was an indycar race over the weekend not the greatest results for scott mclaughlin uh how did it all go i did watch quite a bit of it Uh, unfortunately scotty had a shunt in practice early on and it was a track that he he hadn't been to before um so he sort of he was on the back foot for most of the weekend and, and never really got going again um and then made a little little error on Saturday's race. Um, I haven't seen uh, Sunday's race yet, but he finished 20th in that race as well. So I can only assume things didn't quite go to plan, but I tell you what, a very, very tricky circuit and, and they run on a very soft tire there. One of their options is a red tire and it basically goes off after about five or six laps and the cars are sliding around like crazy. So it looked like really hard work out there. It was hot. Um, I actually had a couple of text messages with Scott this morning just to see how he was going uh, physically. And he said, you know, physically not too bad. Um, just my hands, just trying to hold on to these things. You got to remember these Indy cars don't have power steering around a bumpy street circuit. So he said, just, he gets to a point in the race where he can barely hold onto the thing anymore. And I think a lot of the drivers are in this similar boat. They, they all look exhausted when they, when they got out of the car. But yeah, he just basically said, you know, he was a session behind everybody, uh, just didn't have a good weekend. And unfortunately, that's the way it goes sometimes. And uh, yeah, Will Power had a fairly strong weekend, especially on Saturday. He was actually leading the race and they called us a red flag right near the end of the race, about five laps to go. And unfortunately, um, it killed his uh, ECU mm. just with all the heat. And uh, they couldn't get the car started when they restarted the race. So he, he led for a lot of the race and unfortunately, um, yeah, had to go to the back of the field and had to try and replace the ECU. I don't think he even got back out there in that race. And Marcus Erickson won that race, which was his first ever victory. Um, so that was cool to see. But yeah, not a great day for Will Power in the end there, considering all the pace he had. Um, and then on Sunday, um, Pato Award won the race. So he was very strong on Saturday as well. So now he leads the championship. Uh, and Joseph Newgarden came in second. So that was good for Team Penske to get actually some points on the board. So there you go. There's my little wrap-up from the weekend. I tried to I watch like quite it. a bit of it, but at the time the time was just against me. If, <laughs> uh, when the racing and practice sessions were on, you just end up being a zombie all day. If there's, um, any, if there's any websites or magazines out there that need a new IndyCar <laughs> correspondent, then you, you're hearing Australia, from him yeah. right now. You're listening I'm doing, to him. I'm doing my absolute best to stay in touch with what Scott's doing. Um, big fanboy here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I do enjoy it. I'm getting, getting right into it. It's actually like really exciting racing up and down the field. They look bloody hard work, those IndyCars. and. Mm. There's always something happening. You, you, it just doesn't seem to ever settle into a rhythm. And the moment that you think it has settled, then something else happens. And um, yeah, it's, it's pretty good viewing. Mm. Yeah, awesome. Great. Okay. Uh, in terms of uh, other news, there was uh, something really significant. Uh, of course, we're celebrating the Queen's uh, birthday long weekend 
here in Australia and three uh, very, well, actually it was six uh, well-known Australian motorsport identities have been uh, awarded member of the Order of Australia, which is, of course, the AM medal. I actually got to hold uh, and touch the uh, an AM wow. uh, medal. Ron Torinak's uh, family brought out his uh, Order of Australia medal, and uh, I touched it. So that was probably as close as I'm ever going to get to uh, having a, a medal from uh, from the Queen and the Governor General. But um, uh, Larry Perkins, John Bow, or Johnny B, as he will be known uh, from here on, um, <laughs> Tony Cochran, uh, and then three guys, three pe- three people who have played significant roles. Um, uh, in the administration of the sport, Motorsport Australia's uh, President Andrew Papadopoulos, the AGP's event director Trent Smythe, and uh, our safety expert Dr. Michael Henderson all picked up a member of the Order of Australia, which is a uh, you know one of the highest honours that uh, can be awarded um, for individuals who make a difference. So uh, certainly great to see guys like. Uh, Larry Perkins and, and John Bow collect those for effectively being touring car drivers and being bloody good at it. That's cool. That's cool. Just when you thought JB couldn't get any more uh, recognition for what he's done in the sport <laughs> and uh, right. <laughs> something else comes Mate, up. Big big year for JB. Kids books yeah. being written about him. Oh, getting the, getting the nod, of the nod of the head from the Queen. Pretty good. I hope when I'm when I'm his age, I get uh, some of that recognition too. But <laughs> probably not. Um, hey, there was a bit of drag racing as well over the weekend up in Queensland. Yeah. And a new world record was established by the Premier Racing team. Three point seven six second pass. Yep. That is just absolutely insane, and there's quite a bit of uh, social media around it and footage of it. And it's like an explosion goes off when the thing takes off. Mm. Um, so that that was pretty cool to see. A lot of the supercar guys were there. Obviously, Premier Hire are a sponsor of Techno, or sorry, Team Sydney, I should say. That's right. Um, but this was a new track record for Willow Bank, national record, Gulf Western, Winter Nationals, top fuel winner. Man, it just goes on and on. So this is a big deal. Yep. I'm not into drag racing at all, but... Uh, this is a big deal, Grant. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's that's some pretty impressive numbers. Uh, drag racing has gone through its highs and lows here in Australia. You know, I think back to the uh, the '90s and even I think into the 2000s or just before. I think mm. it was mainly the '90s. Massive. It was huge. It was yep. it was absolutely it. huge. I used to go to now it's almost non-existent. Yeah, yeah, which is a real it's a it's a real shame. But uh, yeah, good that it gets its little um, little time in the in the spotlight, and good to see that uh, that but records are still being set. Just looking at the uh, social media around it, there's people everywhere watching it, all mm. up and down, you know, the the uh, the straight, either side of it, just jam packed with people watching. So maybe they are craving craving a bit of drag racing. Mm. Have you seen the rear tires on those things when they actually take off and they, yeah. they do like a slow-mo and it's all bagged they, up? And they fold, yeah. It's absolutely insane. Mm. Absolutely insane. Anyway, sorry, going off track. Okay, well, let's get back on track. Let's go speak to Mark Fogarty from Auto Action. He's going to give us a little update on some 
things. We'll just ask him some questions and we'll see what he says. Here we go. Fogs on Parked Up. And it's great to welcome Mark Fogarty from Auto Action back to the Parked Up podcast to go through a few little bits of news that has been happening in supercars and around the traps. Fogs, thanks for joining us. Morning, boys. Mate, uh, let's uh, let's talk about Gen 3. Uh, we don't need to harp on it for too long, but uh, we've, we've spoken to a, a few other journos about where the program is at the moment. It's it's certainly been up and down and hogged the headlines for a, a few weeks um, just recently. What's your take on the program? Well, the fact that the program's introduction has been delayed has been finally confirmed, but it's been inevitable for months that to get Gen 3 ready for the start of next season was just going to be too much of a rush and not only a rush, but a costly rush. So <clears throat> I guess the compromise is go for a mid-season or around August introduction next year, which seems unnecessarily messy and I would think unprecedented. I can't think of a major category anywhere that's gone from a, for a mid-season introduction for such a, you know, a big change um, for the cars wholesale change they all have to be uh, replaced so it just seems untidy um, and I have to say smacks of a bit of face saving by supercars which had been maintaining steadfastly for so long that no no all good on time definitely start of 22 not delaying till 23 well the delay as I said was inevitable and uh, they've gone for the compromise so I guess most of the teams, well, reluctantly, I think, say, yep, we can make it work. And sure, it's better than trying to get it started for, you know, next February or March. So um, we have a direction now. Um, Supercars is finally being more communicative, um, not only with the teams and the media, but the fans at last about what's going on with Gen 3, how developments are going, what's in Gen 3. A lot, lots of the detail is now, well, it's <laughs> flooding in. You know, we've gone, you know, about from famine to feast. Mm. Now we're, we've been overwhelmed recently with information, but um, better that we're getting the information now than, than not, which was the case before. So we've got a target, move on, let's do it. Folks, I totally agree with what you're saying about a mid-season launch is just unheard of. Um, what, what do you think the reason is behind this uh, big push to get the cars rolled out for next year? Like, what, why can't we just wait? What is it an obvious reason or is it something that I'm completely missing? It's a good question, Tony. And as I suggested before, it smacks of face saving for supercars that they can say, well, we said we'd bring it in 22 and we will just way late in 22. And the, you know, but they could, well, Another school of thought is the urgency to get the new Gen 3 Mustang and particularly the Camaro on the track as soon as possible is that there's, they've got it in their brains that they can't have another year running an outmoded car, that being the ZB Commodore, which is, is dead in the market. It doesn't even exist now or it's not sold anymore as a road car. I, I don't buy that. I, I really don't think the fans, you know, care all that much, you know, they can hang out for a six months to a year to wait for the Camaro, you know, the Camaro, you know, will be an attractive addition and will create a lot of interest, but I don't think it's make or break. And I think if they ran the whole of next season 
you know, with the existing Commodores up against the existing Mustangs and the racing remains good, well, I, you know, I see no downside in that, but that's apparently um, not the thinking that prevails among the powers that be. That's the combination of those two things, Tony, is, is, is my view on it, whether that's right or not. Well, you'd have to get right into the uh, inner sanctum of supercars to really know what's going on. It just seems like a huge amount of pressure that they're putting on teams and, and themselves to try and roll these cars out um, mid-season. And, and generally, like with a new car coming in, a lot of the teams would sell their previous car to a DVS team and maybe use some of that funding to build the new cars. They're not really going to get that chance. They're going to have to hold on to these cars until the, until the end of that year to be able to offload them to a DVS team or who knows what's going to happen with DVS going forward as well. Mm, I'm sure there will be, well, there's going to be huge economic impact on all the main game teams. They're going to have to you know, pay for all new cars, even if they are substantially cheaper to build and then to run. The capital outlay has to, you know, be made up front, you know, so you're probably looking at, I don't know, let's be conservative, you know, for two cars to get them on the track, not even talking about you know, extra inventory and spares and all that, but, you know, I would think at least, well, close to a million dollars just to, you know, get to that first Gen 3 race. And as you suggest, what's happening with Super 2 and the hand-me-down, which has been part of the economic model, is not clear. It, the suggestions, they, they won't uh, switch. Well, they're, they're not going to let the current Mustang and Commodore in to Super 2 next season for start, 22, which was originally the plan that, the progression would start then and we don't know if they're going to open it up you know with the gen 2.5 cars for super 2 in 2023 but then you've got to think well hang on the reason they're getting rid of the current cars is because they're so damn expensive to run mm. so what's the point in <laughs> in handing them down even, even at a bargain problem. even at a bargain purchase price you know so then the super 2 teams inherit all the running cost and maintenance problems so you know, there's been a movement for Super 2, um, you know, to jump straight to Gen 3 and be done with it. And, uh, well, I've got to, I've got to say there's, there's a lot of sense in, in that, isn't there, from an economic point of view for the Super 2 teams who, well, let's face it, I mean, by comparison, those blokes run on the smell of an oily rag, don't they? Mm. Uh, interesting times and so many things to play out. We've, um, we've seen, uh, as, as you'd said there, we had no news for for quite some time or at least no correspondence and then a barrage of um of info so um the ups and downs of gen 3 continues folks i wanted to ask about the australian grand prix you wrote a really interesting piece in auto action uh in your past issue which didn't just suggest that the australian grand prix uh, might not happen you basically told the world why it wasn't going why it can't happen it was really interesting uh, and a real shame. Like I was reading it thinking, nah, that this guy's he'll be wrong. This will be wrong. <laughs> but I think you've made too, you made too much sense in that piece, which, uh, which I, I guess to. is a real, which is a re for the first time, for the first time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But a real shame if, if the, if the Grand Prix can't go ahead. Yeah. Look, I want the Australian Grand Prix to go ahead in November as much, if not more than anyone I'm, I'm not, you know, I didn't write what I wrote as a death wish, but 
the practicalities of it just don't stack up. I mean, people I've spoken to in Formula One overseas make it very clear that if the Victoria government sticks with wanting a two-week quarantine for the Formula One drivers and personnel in Melbourne before they get to race, well, that's just not going to happen. Formula One has not accepted that anywhere else in the world so far um, with a pretty robust and successful COVID-19 regime. Um, the Canadian Grand Prix was cancelled for just that reason, that the authorities there were demanding two-week quarantine. Um, Formula One as a group and Formula One, the people, just from everything I'm hearing, will not accept that. And at the moment, given how jittery things are coronavirus-wise in Melbourne and Victoria, I, I can't see, and there's certainly been no indication from the government, um, that they're going to relax the quarantine requirement. And I'm told from Formula One sources that even if they cut it back to you know five days quarantine before then going to the track, still not acceptable. Um, and also you've got to look at things like, you know, exactly two weeks anyway, before the postponed Australian Grand Prix is due to be held, you have the Brazilian Grand Prix. Well, <laughs> how could the government here possibly countenance Formula One coming, you know, straight from Brazil, you know, one of the hot spots of COVID-19 around the world. Now, it remains to be seen if the Brazil Brazilian Grand Prix happens. It, Brazil is currently on, it's one of, it's, it's a red zone country. Uh, and they're the ones where Formula One is not going to un under instruction from the FIA as well as the British government because most of the teams, of course, are based in the UK. So that may not be a problem, but the problem persists that the two-week quarantine is just at this stage, it's something Formula One will not accept. So it, it can't happen. And that's a shame because Formula One itself has a, you know, a great plan to form a bubble, a bubble, if you like, and a corridor between the airport and the hotel and the track and back and keep all the Formula One people separate at the track and the Australian Grand Prix Corporation. Um, people have been working on a similar plan and have been pitching it to the health authorities. But unless there's some secret talks that we don't know about, which is quite possible, um, the health authorities and the government are just not budging on that requirement. So if that remains, that's where it begins and ends. That's it. I'll be interested to get uh, both your thoughts um, on whether or not there's a cutoff point for Melbourne to actually get the circuit up and running for the race in November. Um, do you boys know when that would be or likely to be? Uh, late September, I believe, in terms of, or early October, I suppose, at the latest, um, to start um, building the track. Mm. Mm. Um, that's just a practical difficulty to have to know a decision has to be made by then to start you know building the infrastructure at, at, at Albert Park as they have to every year and you know it, it seems to me too just extending this discussion that putting the race off or not having the race in November and just putting a hand up now and saying look this is too too much uncertainty we're going to go for March next year so we're only talking about a delay of four months effectively and in that four months, you would think and hope that much will change in terms of the whole COVID-19 situation. I mean, it may not, who knows where this is going. Um, but I just think putting a hand up and saying, look, too uncertain, November, we're now going to aim for next March or something like that, but, you know. And that's even though I reckon, <laughs> I actually think November is probably a great time to hold the Grand Prix in Melbourne. Um, you know, you're out of the 
uh, where you're not at the very start of the footy season, you know, Grand Prix in recent years has clashed with the opening round of the AFL, which hasn't affected the crowd, but it certainly, you know, diminishes the amount of media coverage it gets and publicity. Um, but so you're clear of that in November. It'll be after the Melbourne Cup. Cricket hasn't really fired up, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You, you've got clear air and, you know, there's a reasonable expectation in what, you know, in the third or so week of November that, you know, I mean, the weather, the weather could be terrible, but it could just as easily be, you know, really pleasant spring weather. So I think it's worth the gamble to run it in November in the future anyway. But at the moment, it just doesn't seem feasible and it would seem sensible to me to go, yep, let's, let's target March, become the opening race again and uh, next year and we'll see how it goes. Just one last question on the Grand Prix. Um, if we did race in November, do you think we'd still be the opening round the following year? Depends how it goes, I suppose. If it's a mm. smash hit, big crowds, good atmosphere, the organisers would have to look at, you know, making the move to November, the, which was the traditional slot for the Australian Grand Prix back in the Adelaide days, you know, between 85 and was it 95? Um, at the moment, though, I think their attitude is that they liked being the first round and they, for some reason, like having it in March. I guess there's some certainty of better weather then. Um, but you'd have you'd have to hope that they'd be open to switching the race to November if that's <clears throat> feasible within the Formula One calendar um, because, because it, it can work so well. So we'll just have to wait and see, I guess, is the simple answer, Tony. Oh, wait and see. We will, of course. We want the Grand Prix to go ahead. I've had, on uh, on one of my little uh, on one of my road cars. I've still got my Village Greens uh, parking pass on there from 2019, which was uh, really the last time the last time that that race actually went ahead. It feels like a bloody age ago since uh, since a, a couple of ages ago. It does indeed, doesn't it? So much has happened since that we could never have expected. Oh yeah. No. Um, folks, before we let you go, and we thank you so much for joining us on Parked Up, uh, but I wanted to uh, just uh, rebirth the who will replace Jamie Winkup at the uh, end of this year. Uh, you've got your uh, you've got your finger on the pulse. You talk to the right people. Where's the smart money? Where is Mark Fogarty's money? Who replaces Jamie Winkup at the end of this year? Uh, I'm pretty sure it won't be Chaz Mostert. I mean, the jungle drums keep strongly suggesting while he may have been, may have been a target, uh, he's, he's happy at Walkinshaw and Dreddy United and the expect, expectation is that he will resign for an extended period. So, you know, again, the Bush Telegraph keeps telling me Brock Feeney is the man. Already got that seat. That was part of the deal when he switched from Tickford across to Triple Eight for the Super 2 program. So no one at Triple Eight is talking except saying they have a short list, but in lieu of any hard information, um, as long as Brock Feeney performs well in Super 2 this year and 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 at, and at Bathurst um, and, and probably in testing, you'd expect he'll probably get some miles into the Gen 3 uh, Camaro that Triple Eight will be developing. Uh, it's, it's all pointing in that direction, but, um, you know, would I put my house on that? Not quite, but I think it'd be a pretty good tip, Brock Feeney, you, to replace Jamie Winker. Do you think he's the man for the job, in your opinion? Hard to know. I think he's a man for the job. He's got to be a contender. Yeah, if he if he 
fulfill starts fulfilling his potential that everyone seems to you know think so he's highly rated um and for triple eight you know if they can invest in a young driver like they did if you like in a was a different thing but with jamie wincup well that's going to be how do we say it a lot more cost effective than trying to buy an existing gun but the existing guns are not available that that's that's a big problem you know if you take away chas mostard say cam waters um you take away the you know the djr guys i reckon it'd be locked in at least two years you'd think um <clears throat> who, who have you who have you got left you know nick perkett perhaps but yeah i, I would think uh, nick perkett would be a great fit mm, not a great fit i don't think he's he's just got the years under his belt he's ready to win oh he, he's got the experience and the speed but I, i'm not sure if the attitude fits with with triple eight it certainly will be interesting to see um, how that plays out. There's been a lot of hype around Brock and um, him getting the seat. I did want to get your thoughts on the wildcard entries, though, because um, each week we've been asking our guests, who do you think is going to be faster, Russell Ingle or Greg Murphy? Um, so, folks, what do you think? What's your tip? Um, to be brutally honest, I'm not a fan of either of them making a comeback. So let's just put that out <laughs> on the table. I mean, I have got out in print and, you know, I can see I can see the interest and, and, and the publicity value in the short term of people like Russell England, Greg Murphy coming back. But both of particularly Murphy have been out of racing for so long that I, I just, I don't know why they're doing it. You know, they're champions, you know, well, you know, and legends of the sport. What? Why would you risk that just to 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 come back? And I, you know, I I understand the appeal. You know, why wouldn't you race at Bathurst? But you know, if it if it potentially tarnishes your legacy because you're just not fast quick enough, and you know, I'm, I'm afraid the odds are at their ages they're just not going to be at the sharp end, are they? There'd be something wrong. So all the load then goes on. You know, as far as the super cheap entry for Ingle is all the loads on Brock Feeney and then Murph and Stanaway. Well, you know, Richie talented, but you know, he's a bit rusty as well. So uh, there's a lot of hype around these wild cards, but I, I really think that the wild cards should be for either, you know, big name international entries. If, if, you know, a superstar wants to come out or they should be an opportunity for, you know, young up, up and comers to, to get their chance. And, you know, we've seen that in the, in the past. Well, look, you know, look at Brody Kostecki at Bathurst last year. I mean, wow, made a huge impression. Well, that's because he got that uh, he got that chance to do that. And I would think that that's better for the sport long term than a couple of old stars as interesting and as, um, you know, attention getting as they are, um, you know, taking space from someone who's part of the future of supercars, not its past. Oh, folks, we love uh, we love getting your insights and thoughts on the world of motorsport. You uh, you never hold back. You uh, you always give it to us exactly how uh, how you see it, and uh, that is the reason why we'll uh, I'll continue to send you text messages and uh, ask you to come on to our show and <laughs> uh, and give us some of your uh, thoughts. Well, yeah, you know me. <laughs> I, I... I'm not about to change. It'd be a bit late now, isn't it? Wouldn't it? You know, after 787,000 years in this business. A lot of years. I'm not, yeah, I'm not about to change my stripes, am I? No. 
Happy uh, to help. Thank you, Mark Fogarty from Auto Action for joining us again. And uh, we'll, mate, we'll talk to you real soon. Very good. Thanks, guys. So there we go, Tony D. He reckons Brock Feeney is all but locked in. That's kind of what I was uh, taking out of that. What do you reckon? Yeah, it sounds like that's the that's the hot rumor, and uh, there is a lot of hype around it. There's there's no doubt about it. Um, I mean, I, I'm not saying for a second that Brock isn't uh, a future champion or worthy of it, but you know, we do have some amazing race drivers that have probably got a lot of experience under their belt um, that could potentially hit the ground running. Um, but it's just interesting the strategy that Rollins, you know, potentially going to pick Brock and pick a young guy and. Uh, and I suppose groom him into into the driver that he, he wants. And, you know, he does have a very good teacher if he does join the team in Shane Van Giesbergen. And uh, I'm sure results will come. But you've got to remember, you're, you're replacing one of the greatest touring car drivers in the country. So it's it's um, good shoes to fill. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And uh, it's not, it wouldn't be easy. So um, time will tell. Time will tell. I was interested to hear the Gen 3 stuff. And, you know, we have heard a lot of the information that folks was talking about. So it's just, uh, it's good that supercars are opening up a little bit more. It just, I think everybody's of the same opinion, though. Why would we start mid-season? Um, it just sounds very messy. And um, anyway, I'm sure there's uh, reasons behind it. And uh, But who knows? Plans mm-hmm. have changed three or four times already. So we'll just have to sit tight. But uh, I did, uh, I did want to put my hand up uh if anybody's listening i'm sure ryan's story is because he's an avid listener listener of parked up um if there's any mileage you want to do on those gen 3 cars like you know i'm here i'm i'm cheap <laughs> i'm ready to go mate <laughs> yeah i'm sure i'm sure good bathurst miles yeah i think so well considering that the cars might not uh, launch until a couple of months before that big race on the mountain then uh yeah any uh, extra little laps you might be able to get uh would mm. be pretty helpful i could imagine well absolutely i mean we we uh we just had a test day and when i say we djr just had a test day uh two weeks ago now and uh i was all scheduled to go but unfortunately with the covids i missed out mm. so that's one less test day before bathurst that i'm going to get so that's why I'd like to uh, put my hand up for the Gen Three stuff. Buddy. Lock me in. Is there any I'll just other move right... up to Queensland for like three months? I don't care. Are you going to try and get your bum in anything else? Another another supercar at a private Absolutely. test day, or uh, I know you've got some. You've still got some Honda TCR stuff to happen. Mm. A couple couple of events there before you go to the great race. But is there anything oh, look, else I you'd think... like to do? There's always things I'd like to do, but whether or not the opportunities arise. <laughs> no, there uh, there's a few GT races that I'd like to get involved in. Um, there's some TCR stuff, some sponsor ride days with supercars, and you know probably a test stage before Bathurst. So it shouldn't be a problem. But um, you know, let's just hope we don't have any more COVID issues that mm. restrict us from. Uh, from getting up to Queensland and, and doing some of these things that uh, have been scheduled in. Cause it's um, yeah, it's a bit of a pain in the backside, but all things looking pretty good here in Melbourne at the moment. Very good. Very good. Okay. Um, all right. So let's uh, let's move on to the little chat I had with Sam Brabham at the Sydney classic over the weekend at Sydney Motorsport Park. He's a great lad. He's part of a, a very, very rich family dynasty of motorsport royalty he's the son of 
David Brabham, uh, who of course uh, is has been there and done that in in all forms of motorsport himself, and and David of course is the son of Sir Jack Brabham, who won three world titles, one of which was won in a car that would, had his own name on it. It was the BT19, uh, and Sam was driving that very car at Sydney Motorsport Park on the weekend. So I grabbed him for a quick chat. And it's great to have Sam Brabham on the Parked Up podcast. We're here at Sydney Motorsport Park for the Sydney Classic, paying special tribute to Ron Toronak, person who played a pivotal role in your grandfather's career, building uh, all of their cars together. You get to drive the BT19 again. It's a pretty special, special, special time. Anytime you get a chance to do that. Yeah, it's um, that feeling never really gets old. To be honest with you, um, from the first time I drove it, I got out of the car and I felt actually quite emotional as I was coming in. And while you're driving, you're focused so much on not messing it up and making sure you're doing the right things. That the other side doesn't really dawn on you until I finished up and I was like, wow, that's it's a really, really special moment. And it's great that we could do a parade here this weekend for Ron because. Um, you know, he had such, like you said, a pivotal role in everything to do with Brabham um, and Rolt, which was his business as well, once he left Brabham and, and went on to do his own thing. And, uh, you know, every Brabham car is starts with BT and, and then a number, and that stands for Brabham Turanak. So it's kind of a, a showcase to how much he meant to, to, to the Brabham team and, and his influence that he had. You've got to do parade laps. You did some uh, running at Mount Panorama as well for the, uh, for the Repco for, uh, Repco Mount Panorama 500 it was um, they let you sort of go you know at your own as fast as you wanted at Bathurst but you stuck behind the uh, the pace car in these parades that must be one of the most frustrating things uh, to be honest I don't mind it too much as long as they're not going too slow yesterday we were going a little bit too slow just the car needs to do the right things to be at a certain speed to run properly um, which yesterday I had to try and I actually ended up actually going past the course car and told them to speed up so they didn't speed up too much, just enough, which was good. But today worked out. And, and at Bathurst, I didn't have anyone in front of me, so it was up to sort of my discretion to to go. I did have a pack of supercars behind me at some point, so I, I couldn't just dawdle, dawdle around. But um, yeah, I got to open it up a little bit. Um, today, I didn't really get into even into third gear, just about. So uh, Bathurst down Conrad Straight, managed to pull fourth, which in one of those things is, is still fairly quick. So yeah. How those guys back in the day even have had any hearing left? With that big engine sitting right, right behind them, what does that thing sound like when when you're when you're behind the wheel now? Oh, I mean, I've got my molded earplugs in because it is that loud, and it, it's just you know there's no mufflers, it's straight pipes out, and um, it just roars. Like it, as soon as you start to open up the throttle, particularly um, on the down changes, you have to heel and toe, flip the throttle for the gear changes and stuff like that. You really, really get a sense of that that raw power that it has. Um, obviously, I've not even tested the the waters with it, but. Those guys are so brave driving these cars with a fuel tank just next to you and hay bales and telegraph poles to stop you on the outside. You know, the, the, those guys were a whole other breed of racing driver and um, it's, it's always impressive every time I drive it to, to get to feel what they felt somewhat, you know. So let's talk about your career a little bit. Um, no racing uh, nor nothing sort of permanent or locked in at this point. Surely that is something that you want to sort of uh, fix up as, as quickly as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I moved to Australia a couple of years ago and um, I kind of moved here thinking I wasn't racing, um, which was the idea. So I thought, well, why not try, try and ch change something different, you know? And, and I absolutely loved it. Um, 
over here and I was lucky enough to actually race in the UK so I travelled back and forth a couple of years ago to do Carrera Cup um, and since then obviously with COVID and all that sort of stuff it wasn't quite um, as ideal as as we would have liked but it is what it is and now this year is the first year I've really been in Australia to try and make something happen and I'm getting closer uh, I'd like to try and do some racing towards the end of the year to really get myself out there and, and showcase my ability I've never really, this weekend is the first time I've ever done a race in Australia so um, you know looking forward ideally you know supercars is the pinnacle of Australian motor racing and the quality of driver there is, is fantastic so that's what I want to put myself to um, in the next coming years so we have to just keep keep working hard and you know i'm here kind of on my own doing, doing it myself so haven't got dad to stand over my shoulder and help me out but i think that's probably a good thing as well oh, mate if there's uh, if there's anything that can help you it might be the surname which could uh, open some doors potentially but uh, look what what categories do you think would be a good stepping stone a good first point that you'd like to look at before uh, you know making that you know hopeful one day step towards the very top yeah I mean there's a lot of the good thing about Australia is there's a lot of good great championships that can lead you there um, obviously Carrera Cup is something that I've driven before so I know the car uh, I've learned a lot of the circuits doing driver coaching different events and that sort of thing so see some of them I don't know but it's, they're all the same they're still a racetrack so Carrera Cup obviously Super 2 is a good stepping stone as well but with the new regs with the Gen 3 cars I'll be interested to see how that compares for the future as well, so we don't know just yet. Um, but they're, they're the sort of championships I'm looking at trying to do and, and get myself out there and then you know, hopefully one day be in the main game uh, when I can. Perfect, now uh, our mate Tony D, you've met a couple of times uh, through the driver training stuff, which you just uh, which you just mentioned. And he wanted to, uh, he sent me a couple of questions to ask you while, while we were up here. Um, he, he wanted to ask about the driver training, how, how's life as a driver trainer? especially coaching Saudi Arabian drivers. I'm not sure what he's talking about there. You might be able to um, tell us. Um, I don't know what he's talking about there, um, <laughs> to be honest with you, but um, it, it's good. Like it's For me personally, like, I did it in the UK and it's, I think it's a lot better here. There's a lot more of it and the opportunities that can come from it are pretty good. And it, I've learned a lot of racetracks in Australia now all over the country. So. For me, it was a great avenue to learn circuits that I'd never been to before, never even seen. Um, the first time I drove Bathurst was on a Mercedes event and we were doing hot laps and I've never even driven, I've never been around the track, only on the PlayStation and that sort of thing. Um, and you're meant to push yourself, not too fast, but fast enough for a, great, a good experience. And I'm driving around blind because I, I don't know what's going on. But now if I was hopping a race car tomorrow around Bathurst, I know at least where, roughly where I'm going. So it's been a big help for me on, on, on that side. Okay, and uh, he also asked, can you hook him up in a drive in the Brabham BT19? Is that is that possible? No. <laughs> Unfortunately not, Tony, because that means I'm not driving it. So I'll do him a deal. If I can drive the supercar, then I'll try and get him in one of those. He, uh, he, I reckon he'll uh, try and make try and make that happen. Sam, great to uh, great to catch up. Great to see you back here. Uh, and we look forward to see you in uh, some uh, some real racing sometime soon. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. And we thank Sam for his time. Now, there you go, Tony D. Basically, zero chance of you getting to drive the BT19. Sorry to break that to you. Damn it. Damn mm. it. Well, I let Slady drive it. I'm like basically the same size as the bloke. <laughs> so, you know, I could even use his race suit, I reckon. Just let me have a go. The thing's a weapon, that thing. It is, it is. And it was sort of a shame that, uh, as I spoke with Sam 
there that he had to drive behind. So at this event, they drove, it was just a parade. So mm. he was sort of stuck in second gear the, the whole time. And I mean, you could never drive it like it used to be driven or how it was built yeah. to be driven. But um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's an awesome thing and, uh, and, and great that it's been preserved so well by, by Repco and um, uh, Alan Heafy's team. It's a, uh, it, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, okay, cool. Well, we're almost done for this episode of Parked Up. Of course, from here, I'm heading up to Darwin along with all of the other uh, supercars teams and drivers getting ready for another round of the supercars. It does feel like a while since that has happened because of <laughs> these uh, COVIDs and the fact that Winton didn't go ahead. Um, but I've got uh, three pairs of shorts packed away in my oh, luggage. You bugger. Mm. Yep. You bugger. And you I've been cold lo- it is in Melbourne, honestly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hey, speaking of cold, just quickly, mm-hmm. I, got, I got a new uh, fire pit. Oh yes, for the back. Mate, it's, new backyard. it's unbelievable. Your so backyard cool. is sensational. It's getting, it's getting there. I've put a lot of work in. I'm actually having today off. Mm-hmm. I've spent all weekend working in the backyard, but I'm an absolute rookie at at lighting these fire pits. So <laughs> we bought this fire pit, and it's meant to be smokeless. It's a fancy one, of course. Yep. Um, but if you don't light it properly, it's then it's very, very got very a lot smoky. of smoke going on. <laughs> oh no. So I was literally smoking people out of my backyard the other day until it, uh, it got kicked off. So Steph's dad, Greg, he's a bit of a boy scout. So he's, he's given me some lessons and taught me how to light it properly, but I need more practice. So when you come, when you get actually get back to Melbourne, you come around and have some beers. I like that. I like that. I'll have some soda waters. You can have some beers. Well, you can have one beer at least. Surely. Ah, Bathurst, mate, just around the corner. Right. It's I'm fully three, prepping. It's three months away. Are you on the yeah. no beer program until Bathurst, until you're holding that big trophy? No beer, but lots of gin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like gin too. Anyway, we can share a gin. Getting back to you going to Darwin and supercars this weekend, I'm mm-hmm. excited because there's actually some racing going on in supercar land. Mm-hmm. And I'm even more excited that they're going to trial this new soft tire, super mm-hmm. soft tire. Mm-hmm. Um, Darwin is traditionally very hard on tires the the temperature the surface uh, just eats away at the tire so you know without any anyone running on this tire yet i mean bear in mind they would have if plans had gone to um if plans were in place they would have raced at winton only a few weeks ago on the super soft and would have had some information now they don't have anything mm. and they're going to a very high deck circuit so that'll be interesting to see how that rolls out mm. Yep, it will be good. Who's your tip? Who is your tip? Who wins? Uh, Who's the man? That's a hard beat? one. DJR have been good there over the years, over the last couple of years. Um, but considering both their drivers are new, that might might change a little bit. But I think they should be quite strong. Triple uh, Eight, obviously, are going to be strong. Jamie, I remember last year had a crash in practice, but then backed it up, and I think he won on Sunday. Yeah, um, which is an incredible comeback. So, I think uh, those guys will definitely be quick. Um, and then and then really your Cam, your Cam Waters and your Chaz Mostets and everyone else is I think fighting behind. They'll them. obviously be in the they'll be in the mix. There's no doubt about. It. I don't reckon there's someone that really stands out as a clear favourite for this weekend. Um, it's just Darwin is just such a great event. It really is. I mean, with my 
my time in supercars, I always loved getting up to Darwin. It's got a different vibe, different atmosphere. The town do get behind it, the massive truck parade. The weather's good. You know, you get out of the Melbourne weather, uh, the winter, and enjoy some sunshine. So I'm very jealous. Super <laughs> jealous, Grant. I'll bring, just, it's just a I'll good bring some sun back for you. I'll bring some yeah. of the sun back for you. What, who's, what's your tip for the weekend? Yeah, I think one of those uh, Red Bull cars is going to take all of the wins and I would imagine it'll be the one with 97 mm, uh, okay. on the side. That is who I think will win this weekend. And it sounds like a boring tip, but um, having just been slightly off at the bend, uh, I think this will be the place where Van Gies will bounce back and reassert his claim on, on this year's championship. So, wow. He's got a big claim on it already, but yeah, assert oh, yeah. himself as uh, the dominant force. Yeah. Um, we do have super bikes up there as well on the same weekend, which would mm -hmm. be great to watch. Mm -hmm. um, so Wayne Maxwell is my tip for that one. Oh, Wayne train. Love Correct. him. Mm -hmm. Great bloke. <laughs> um, so I reckon he'll be the man to beat there. Yep. Um, and there is a little bit of a change to the commentary team. Oh yes, um, Garth, of course. Garth Tand has been thrown the the keys to the broadcast, and uh, he's going to join Mark Scaife while Neil Crompton has uh, a little bit of recovery. Mm. Yep, yeah, a bit more responsibility as well for Chad Nalon, who we spoke to uh, just in a couple of uh, episodes uh, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, good for those guys. Obviously, it's all come about because Neil's um, having a rest and getting through his prostate cancer treatment that he's going through. And of course, we wish him all the best uh, with that. And we look forward to seeing his fresh shiny face at the circuit uh at a circuit sometime soon of course he's got a book coming out as well uh along with aaron noonan and the v8 sleuth team they've put together the uh the neil crompton's uh neil crompton's autobiography so um mm. very cool and uh that will certainly be a very 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 popular come christmas time i think many many motorsport fans will have that mm. book in their stockings along with the little heroes books of course yeah, of course <laughs> of course you could do one on neil crompton yes no no he'll definitely get one one day he'll get one one day all right that's it parked up we're done we're done and we're going racing this weekend um if anyone sees some white and bright shiny legs hanging out it's probably <laughs> it's probably mine but hopefully they uh they'll turn a nice little crisp red after a couple of days in the sun but until then tony d we'll speak to you next week thanks mate enjoy darwin